Welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Garrett. And my name is Dan. And we are here to talk about one of the, uh, I, I actually would call it an all-timer. Yeah, I it's, really it's enjoyed It's definitely this movie. an all-timer. Yeah. We're here to talk about Alfonso Cuaron. That's what we agreed to the proper uh, pronunciation I'm of sure it. sure it's an approximation His of 2006 uh, kind of post-apocalyptic revisioning of that sort of genre, yeah. uh, Children of Men. Yeah, I feel like I want to call it a science fiction movie. It is a science fiction yeah. movie. It's, it's a modern science fiction movie. Yeah. And with us, we have a longtime listener, friend of the show. You've heard him on a multitude of other media related to, to us. Uh, uh, I, I should, do you want to use your full name? I never ask comics. Yeah, that's we can nah, use it. Yeah, it's fine. We've got Steve Richards. Hi, how are you, everybody? I'm sitting in nice nice <laughs> well thank you for coming on here yeah. uh thanks for having me absolutely, absolutely absolutely it's uh there's there's a piece of you in in every show so there's it's, a piece it's of good me inside of here. all of you absolutely <laughs> yeah. absolutely and he's actually going to be contributing some artwork for yes. something that we're very excited about mm-hmm. before we get rolling um this should be up probably right before there. then I'm so uh throw this up early this week beautiful so this week thursday july 17th uh movie movie live yes. the conversation that became a show is now a game show it's a game show and uh it's it's gonna be amazing it's at Philomoka 12th and spring garden mm-hmm. yeah 12th and spring garden it's five dollars yep. a multitude of prizes it's a game show format with the movie movie flavor that you love yes so you'll get to participate as well there's a lot of crowd participation with the games it's gonna be really i'm like very excited about this This is gonna I'm, be awesome I'm, it's gonna be I, I can confidently say there's gonna be an awesome show mm-hmm. and if uh, that's not enough for you i'll be there Yes, Steve, Steve will, will be, be there. there. Yes. Uh, and he's contributing some artwork for us, which we're really excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll probably be contributing more in the future, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And shout out to Philomoka. Thanks, guys. Yeah, uh, you've uh, been Eric so Bresler. helpful throughout all of it. Super Eric cool guy, yeah. Geekadelphia geek yes. of the week at one point, I believe. I believe so. There Another weird connection between us is that I, I work with somebody whose uh, mother works with Philomoka. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I believe, didn't you do an internship with one of our panelists, Alex Grubard? Yes. 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 There you go. Uh, yes, we both worked at a nonprofit in Philadelphia and uh, found out we had a similar acquaintance by the name of Dan Scully. Oh, and, that's my uh, name. That's that's you. That's me. And uh, yeah, it was uh, we bonded over that. Um, I got a little jealous. I'm not gonna lie, but you I'm know, always jealous. Of Alex Grubard. He's too funny. Still friends. I, I might have stabbed Grubard in the heart. I don't know. Oh, who hasn't stabbed him in the heart? Have you heard his material? I know. That's a crushed, broken man I have with no money. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have any. He's a crushed, broke man. So enough inside so baseball for the, for the crowd. Children <laughs> yeah. of men. Um, well, actually, this is uh, one of the things that I brought uh, that I thought was rather interesting. This is the Rolling Stone 2010, January 2010 issue, yeah. mm-hmm. where they decided, or maybe this was uh, the end, I, I, this came out, uh, yeah, this is January 7th, 2010, and this was a time when every publication was doing their movies of the decade and yeah. music of the mm-hmm. decade, and so number one, of course, was There Will Be Blood, and I'm not going to disagree with that, no, I, but they have at number two, Children of Men. Wow, there we go. interesting. Uh, do you recall any of what they said about why they put it in number two? I'm well, curious. Uh, it's only a short little blurb, um, but it says right here, I thought this was kind of cool. It says, is it possible to capture the terrible absence of a world without children? Quaran did it. No movie this decade was more redolent of sorrowful beauty and exhilarating action. 
You just you don't just watch the car ambush scene. You live inside it. Mm. That's Quaron's magic. He makes you believe, mm-hmm. and that is um. Yeah, I would. T- I feel like that's all we talked about when we were watching. This. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. H- with that. How he managed to bring us into this world mm-hmm. that we kind and we'll we'll talk about this, but that we kind of decided really otherwise could be very like cheesy or silly. Mm-hmm. He brings us into this story in this world that that might be heavy handed or or silly in, in somebody else's hands, but he really makes you believe it and get into it. The story at the heart is a simple story. Yeah. Um, it's very, very quick and easy. Mm-hmm. It's point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Keep one person alive. It's yeah. classic. Mm-hmm. But uh, and the, it's the little touches that make the world feel lived in. Yes. So that it's not like you're hopping on an amusement park ride. Mm-hmm. It's like you're opening up the window and this is going on outside. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's it seems real. Yeah. yeah. But I, and I would almost. Uh, I know we ha- we talked a lot about what you had just said, um, but I was thinking about it, and there is. L- even though there's all this drama happening around it, uh, and we were talking about like how the humor kind of makes it a little pulpy and, and mm-hmm. what have you, I I think that you know now that I think about it, the humor actually makes it more human. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Because it, if we're any sort of people, we try to find the humor in everything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that it it was it was a good spice to have in the film. It wasn't overpowering at all, mm-hmm. but like it was very uh, welcome. It didn't distract from the the uh, I almost said depravity. That's not what's on display, but just the 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 sorrow. Like mm-hmm. they said, it, it doesn't distract from it, but it makes it palatable. It, it, it makes it seem real. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's like a natural reaction that we that a lot of people often have in situations like that is is to uh, laugh at something. Right? Mm-hmm. So you, I, I think that he delivers on that, but it doesn't. It also doesn't distract, like you said. Like this mm-hmm. whole movie feels very. Uh, like it could have been this sort of overblown like fifth element style like action movie about the future mm. uh, and he manages to like still include that stuff so it's like a lively fun time at the movies you yeah. know the mm-hmm. humor is there the action is there but you feel the weight of the whole mm-hmm. situation I wanted to say you feel the gravity of the whole situation but I didn't want to yeah. <laughs> but then that would open the door to, yeah. for me and Dan to make jokes yeah, yeah. we didn't want to act like children <laughs> of men <laughs> Um, I have a dad. Well, I, but this even is something I want to bring up before we get out of the whole idea of it being one of the best movies of the decade. Yeah, yeah. Because I think this speaks to it, and we've talked about this before. There's a definite shift in tone of all genres of movies post 9-11. Yes. There's pre-9-11, post-9-11, and I think that that has a lot to do with why this is a defining movie of that decade, mm-hmm. is because that was the decade where at least people my age, we all stepped back and kind of saw the world as a big world mm-hmm. as we, at the same time, witnessed the world getting smaller and more connected. So when something like 9-11 happens and it completely shakes the whole world, mm-hmm. the reaction is sorrow. And mm-hmm. then you saw the reaction in America. We went immediately to hope and humor in the mm-hmm. face of this ultimate despair. And here's a movie that, without at all directly referencing it, captured that, you know, the, the uh, you know, uh, denial, anger, yeah. acceptance, captured all of that back to back to back in this nice little shell. And so I think it spoke on a lot of emotions that before that decade, we didn't even know we had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's, it, it, it definitely, if it's at number two here, I would tie it with, with number one. And it's even better than that in the sense that it honestly, it gave us the entire history of the world that we've just entered mm-hmm. in the form of a joke when uh, Clive Owen's talking to Michael Caine. Oh, can I you tell the joke? Moment. My, I didn't write down the joke, now. Well, I mean, can you get the gist of it? Because I, I don't remember how it goes. Well, Michael Caine's like, uh, you know, he, he's starting to tell a joke. He's like, well, something about, like, there are a bunch of people sitting in a room and they're talking about, like, you know, why the world became infertile. And Clive Owen just gets, like, really depraved, like, right in front of him and says... Yeah. 
well, you know what? Honestly, like, I don't really give a fuck because the world was gone to shit before then. Like, even if they found a cure, like, it'd be way too late, blah, blah, blah. And I, thought, then, I think then that's an important huge, line, too. Yeah. And then there's a huge pause, and Michael Caine's like, dude, I'm just trying to tell you a joke. <laughs> and, like, that even even telling us a story in the form of a joke, like, just makes the whole, i use it again, gravity of the situation, <laughs> yeah. like, easier to digest because, one, it's Michael Caine, and yeah. goddamn, okay. I'll, I'll digest anything when he's talking <laughs> to me. <laughs> and secondly, it's it's in the form of humor, which, and, and we'll get into this also, is, like, Michael Caine is essentially, like, probably the most badass character in the entire But movie. he's a stoner, too, so he's feeling silly. I'm curious, though, do you think you can tell the joke? I don't think I can. I was trying to remember what the punchline uh, was. I, I actually I, remember the setup, which is the important... If you I know the, the setup, line. I think I can get the punchline. Okay. I know the punchline. So uh, the, the the setup was something to the effect of, like, there's, you know, a, a bunch of world leaders in a room talking about, like, how did this happen? How did the world get this way? And basically what he does is he says a bunch of things. He says, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, one woman from this country says, like, oh, was it because of radiation? And somebody else says, was it because of, um, you know, widespread rampant disease? And somebody else says, was it because of, uh, you know, the crops dying out? So, like, he's essentially giving you details of, of things. I believe what he's trying to say is all of those things did actually happen in the history of this world. Oh, those uh, are all valid concerns that we have even now. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he's actually telling you the history of this world that we're existing in by telling this joke. And then he says, what is what is the punchline then? Somebody says... Uh, well, the guy was eating the... the he's like, and then there's this guy in the wing. corner of the room and he's just going at his dinner and... and it's uh, a big and greasy they're, they're chicken like, wing. He hasn't said anything the entire night and they, they go over to him and he's like, well, why do you think that you know women became infertile? And he's like, well... He's, and he's eating this big wing. He's like, I don't know, but this stork is delicious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And which that's is great. So funny. And that's what I thought was so interesting is this movie does have a lot of exposition in it. Especially <laughs> that's a very first, good joke. Yeah, it is, it is a fun and joke. It, and what's weird and is... It only uh, exists because of this story itself. And it exists itself. in that world. Yeah. yeah. Like when we think about... Uh, one of the things that blows my mind, I have this great Eddie Izzard uh, DVD. Mm-hmm. He does a whole set. In English, mm-hmm. and then the other side of the DVD is him performing in French. Oh, interesting. And it blew my mind thinking the cadence is different, and 100% of my jokes isn't what I say. It's how I'm saying mm-hmm. it. And so he's able to do that in two languages. Mm-hmm. And so to write a joke that wouldn't be funny in in our world yeah, that, at that, all. They wrote it for this world. That joke is completely contextual. And it almost seems like it's a classic joke yeah, that yeah, they yeah. have there. You know, It's something that they told. Yeah. And it's those details that make that world feel lived in. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's a really clever way to do exposition. Oh, absolutely. Was what was so interesting to me about it, because this movie is actually pretty exposition heavy. And I think sometimes even a little heavy handed. Uh, what but, are jokes but but commentary on what is happening right, in the world? Exactly. you know? And so it, it does. That doesn't seem so heavy handed. That's right, a clever exactly. way to do and it. That's what yeah. I mean. So like he finds pretty clever ways to get a lot of it across. And that was the one that was most interesting to me. I was like, he fucking wrote like exposition into a joke mm. that that's like so interesting to me i think that's such a smart clever way to do that mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's it's just telling of like his um his interest in storytelling i think and making sure it's like it's 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 tight and well crafted mm-hmm. yeah. but even so like i don't think the exposition was it was heavy-handed but it was also like at times but it was also very subtle like even before he told that joke like they panned over all of his all of Michael Caine's old political cartoons mm-hmm. because that, I guess, mm-hmm. is what he was. We laughed at that goofy picture that oh, yeah. took <laughs> with him with, as a young man. Yep. yep. And um, and that one of them was like storks being shot down by a jet plane that they panned over like really quick. But I noticed it because I was like, wow, that that actually like talks pretty well. On, that gives a good, gives us a better, a more rich history of what, what mm. happened here. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually this is something uh, I noted down, but I, while I look this up, I think we should just, if you haven't seen the movie and you're listening, um, 
as we always say, go watch it. I forgot it. we were talking. But if to you're people. if you're not, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, that's kind of the point. If you're not watching, I, it, the general gist of the movie is the the post apocalyptic event is not specific. It mm. just results in infertility. Yes. And so the movie kicks off on a particularly turbulent day because the world's youngest man at the age of eighteen is murdered. Yes. Uh, and I, I I actually what I think is interesting is I don't know that there's a specific event that has occurred that we're not being told about. It sounds oh, no, no, no. to it's, me like it happens infer- over time. Yeah, infertility is just something that occurred over uh, a period of time. Well, the one lady who was the nurse was right. talking yeah, about the how they just lost mm-hmm. uh, pregnancy bookings. Yeah, the midwife uh, was like, "Oh, I, you know, I called one of my friends who's a midwife in this country, and she said she hasn't had a pregnancy in months." And then I called, she called her sister, and the same thing. And it was, yeah. mm. it was just very, it was obviously a very slow process, but we're thrown into it so heavily that. You know, we it it in a way like Inception, like we have to learn the rules. Mm-hmm. We have to learn not not the rules so much, but like we have to learn the history of what happened of the world that we've just been thrown into. Yeah, I do. I, I we were saying this before. I do think one of the things that I kind of, but it, now that I'm thinking about it a little more, I might disagree with myself in a second. One of the things that I, I always found frustrating about this movie, uh, and and it was frustrating me again while watching it this time, is is some of the lack of detail about what's going on. It seems like there's some sort of like racial cleansing that's happening, at least in Britain, because yeah. there's like people in cages and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's not clear what that is. Yeah, or they don't why say why that's happening. Mm. And then there's like a point where you see like piles of dead cows that they're burning and again it's like not clear why that's happening like what that has to do with if i were to guess um i think a lot of it has to do with uh one just the fact that nobody knows what caused this right so they're they're, we're sketchy about everything is it mad cow right is it these uh refugees coming from another country bringing some crazy disease around right uh because of you know uh improper as they see it genetic mixing mm-hmm. you know what is it and so it just seems that everyone just pulled out all the stops and said hit the panic button we have to curb everything yeah. until we know and then yeah. of course as hope is lost i mean one of the things i find so interesting about the opening is because uh, they call him baby uh, baby sean was diego. it uh, baby diego, diego. Baby sean, diego. i was close uh, <laughs> baby diego when he they call him baby diego he's at 18 when diego he dies he sean dies because of <laughs> he dies because of his celebrity yes he dies because he is the symbol of hope yes and when he dies you know all these turbulent things come to a head at that and it, it amazes me the way that this world, they show how there is still a government and the government reacts with martial law. Mm-hmm. But then it takes down to a, a personal level. Like there is still jobs going on. Mm-hmm. People are still trying to work and do all that. Um, they take it down to a level of, uh, you know, just like the people that are hiding out. Like mm-hmm. uh, I actually had another one here. They show the religious reaction. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah. One of the first graffitis that they have is someone saying, uh, uh, last one to die, please go to the light. Mm-hmm. As if just to say, like, will the last person leave a proper mark or mm-hmm. will we mm-hmm. just be shamed? And uh, Well, they even show, I believe, like a religious protest in the streets, too. Yeah. It mm-hmm. says, like, this is our punishment. Well, in Clive Owen, even, uh, he, pre- he prefaces that with, uh, with the conversation he has with Michael Caine where he's like, where Michael Caine's, like, talking about somebody. And he's like, oh, is that one of the repenters? And Clive Owen's like, no, the repenters are the ones who stay on their knees for... 12 months these guys uh flagellate themselves for oh, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. so obviously there's you know a lot of different reactions going on even in so much and i'll, I'll segue into this as the suicide kit that the government is oh you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it called quietus. again quietus. quietus yeah like quiet us yeah yeah <laughs> that's wild but yeah. at the same time like you see that 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's the whole argument of youth, uh, euthanasia. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone says, "I'd rather be dead than suffer," where's the what's the morality? Mm-hmm. The tagline. And so is we've you advanced the beyond time. the morality, and the morality is now let's get a little profit off of that yeah, morality. Yeah. It, it you know it turns into a, a pharmaceutical yeah. thing. And that even insofar as that is that there are obviously more people profiting off of the fact that the world's ending. And uh, there was like billboards for Forever Young and all mm-hmm. these like other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was making me. And laugh. also, and the entire time, I'm wondering why, like, even like why Clive, like, why was Clive Owen still even going to his job? Mm-hmm. Why, why was anybody well, doing? They speak like, to what that a little doing? bit because that's part of his character arc. Because even at the beginning with the with the joke, because mm-hmm. um, you said, "Oh, that was very important." I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember what the specific line was. Oh, he said, uh, "I think the world had gone to shit already." Yeah, that he had like already it, given yeah. up. And as we find out that he used to be an activist, and suddenly mm-hmm. this spark lights under him. Um, there's a point where before he finds out the girl's pregnant where he's like this activism shit's bullshit I just want to go back to yep. my job I want to go back to my routine as fucked as it was it's better than this and then the pregnancy reveal starts to plant that seed of that job's nothing there's a bigger issue at stake that's the point I was going to make I think to answer your question like why was he even still going to his job I think the only reason there were still jobs or any kind of structure at all is that something we all use as like a safety net that's we crave structure that makes people comfortable and actually and so in the face of all this chaos worldwide the fact that remember there's that propaganda as yeah. well like Britain stands alone as like the mm. one vestige of civilization of course if you are like that afraid in the world isn't that much chaos like if the, if you can maintain that routine like you're going to and i think especially for him because like like dan was pointing out he used to be a rebel he's actually fighting the urge to be a rebel in the mm. face of all of this mm. i think clinging to that job and that normalcy is the only thing he had to keep himself sane you know and actually i'll disagree with my own point but even when we were getting towards the end of the movie where we realized that you know the entire underlining theme of this movie is hope. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's, you know, uh, a proponent of this is that, you know, at some small instinctual level, the people that were still going to their jobs, still doing their thing, hope. there was still hope. Yeah. yeah. They believe well, that something. was something I wanted to bring up in terms of like this reaction is obviously tumultuous. There's there's people yeah, fighting yeah. in the streets and stuff. But whereas it seems to speak to on a surface level to a culture that says this is the last generation of humans. Let's start killing. I think it actually speaks to a misguided hope yeah. because the military doesn't exist without that structure, mm-hmm. without someone trying to say, I think I know what the what is best for us. Let's try and do this. And of course, it's failed because everyone's reaction to this catastrophic uh, genetic event is 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 different. Mm-hmm. But uh, we look at that with any sort of disaster. Um you know, when it, when a shooting goes down, there's a million different people that have their reason why they think it happened, and then it becomes a pet cause for putting forward their own beliefs. And so you see that when people stop, uh, you know, reproducing, you get some people that, ah, the world was fucked anyway. You get some people like, we have to study it, we have to study it. You get the religious people that say, it's written in the scriptures. There's a different thing used, and uh, I think this story shows the commonality of people stepping above that and going... There's a bigger picture. Yeah. And in that, there's so much hope. But, uh, you know, a couple people got to get shot first because it looks really cool in an action movie. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, at does. its heart, this is definitely an action movie. Yeah. Th- I mean, this is, we, we talked about this and it got more interesting the more we talked about it as the movie went on. Uh, uh, it's er- a complete hack. It steals from Star Wars and Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, down to the shoes. It's, it's pulpy. And that's what Literally. I was going to get <laughs> For up real. before. That's what I was going to get up before with the idea of like uh, me being frustrated with not enough detail. I kind of realized as it was going on and we talked more about this idea that it's actually a pretty pulpy 
pulpy story. Uh, like that, I actually like that about it, that it doesn't give us all the information because the mm. idea is more Clive Owen is sort of the nameless, faceless hero who uh, does what he has to do, not what he wants to do, right? Mm. He's just dropped into this situation. So we see the whole story through his eyes. We only get the inf- we only get the history of the world in context of him, like whatever he's experiencing. I don't think there's a or... single scene without him in it. No, I, I yeah, think it's, it's completely all from him, his perspective. Yeah. So we absorb it all through him in the same way Star Wars is we absorb a whole world and a whole political structure and things like that through the story of Luke Skywalker. Mm. Uh, and then we talked more, we started noticing more things like... Well, and had, I'll mention that too, because uh, I said this when we were watching it, that's where the prequels failed. Yes. Is rather than giving us the story, they tried to give us the big story and found out, unfortunately, that we don't really care. We don't care. I don't uh. care about the... the, the <laughs> what was I it? couldn't it was even a, tell you what happened it, in those three movies. It was a trade embargo, right? Some like, shit. I don't care about the trade embargo that caused the Empire to rise. That doesn't matter Something about pod me. races and, and Jamaican yeah. aliens that swim? I don't know. Well, <laughs> the throwback to an old podcast I would say that's the reason why we don't give a shit about the Wolverine movies and why X-Men are essentially Wolverine movies because oh, yeah. we don't care about why Wolverine's there we just want to see Wolverine yeah mm-hmm. absolutely yeah uh, but I and you know we as we watched more of it we were seeing more things like you you eventually get the idea of like the three people that you know these three unlikely heroes join together you know by some sort of tragedy and then mm. now have to fight against the world uh, and the journey too, like the impossible journey, where at the end they're really—it's just a symbol of hope. They're trying to find hope and mm. they become the symbol of hope. It was a super pulpy story. It's got all these action scenes in it that are very pulpy. You know what I mean? You have all these like. Well, this crazy... is a strange comparison, yeah. but I, I would compare it to, and this is something I wrote down: of uh, Alien. Yeah. Alien is a B movie script through and through. It hints yep. at a larger world, which you know the later canon of Alien and yes, Predator and all that leads to that. But in that movie, in a vacuum, it's just. The situation that they're dealing with, yeah. anything else that that it, that it suggests is happening, we just have to take on faith. Yeah. And so we have this B movie script, and this A director, Ridley Scott, puts some gravita in it, and mm-hmm. suddenly it's this respected horror sci-fi masterpiece. And this, in a John Carpenter's hands, would have been a great flick, yeah. an awesome time at the movies. But in Alfonso Cuarón's hands, it turns into a movie of the decade. Yeah. And it's wild that they can morph it like that. Yeah. It's uh, uh, can you think of other examples like that? Because that was interesting when you were bringing that up before. Um, like, like be sort of be because this does feel did like you say a identity. B, this does feel. I did see identity. Identity was I think James Mangold directed it. Did He's he really? a decent director, but that was written. I, I, that might not be who directed, but either way, it was somebody of note. Yeah, um, I can probably pull it up. Yeah, it's uh, but it was that. written. The guy who wrote that also wrote the horror movie Jack Frost. Not the Michael yeah, Keaton one, but yeah, the horror yeah. one, Jack Frost, which is a straight-to-video boobs and blood fest. Right. Um, he goes and writes Identity, which is totally a B-movie script. Totally. Suddenly, it's populated with B to A-list actors, Ray Liotta, John Cusack, yep. um, you know, and it's it's this big James story. James you were right. Uh, James Mangold, there you go. And um, I believe, if I remember correctly, Doc Ock, what's his name? Alfred Molina's in it. A um, whole bunch of people. And so there's a B-level script that, given an A-level treatment, was elevated to something. This screenwriter was, was yeah. selling stuff to, to VHS at, at B&C Video, you know? <laughs> right, right. And um, that was my hometown video place growing <laughs> up. And, um, oh, I miss them. And, uh, you know, then, boom, you put a little Hollywood sheen on it, and now his script is in theaters yeah. and is crushing opening weekends. You know, yeah, it's, no, it's and wild. Like, and that movie, I feel like, though, still sort of manages to be a B movie. Absolutely. Um, but it, but it is, I mean, it, it's it's better than it has any right to be based on its Absolutely, script. absolutely. Um, I do think, you know, in the case of, of uh, at least Children of Men, I do think the script is, is fairly smart. Uh, oh, yeah, but yeah. I, I think it's it's mostly Quaron's filmmaking that mm. elevates it to that level of like it's not just like at one point we were commenting like this feels like 
escape from New York. Mm-hmm. Like once they get to the the um, the refugee camp at the end, it really does take on sort of an escape from New York. I think camp. a lot of that's in in the design. Yeah. Um, when we think about future, you know, think like Back to the Future yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. There's flying cars. It's super futuristic. Yeah. This has like a couple little things it's that near, are futuristic, it's a near future, isn't it? and so it seems natural. There's only one real piece of like out there technology, and it ends up being a social commentary. Is Danny Houston the rich guy? Yeah, his, son. his son is cued into this. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it is. Is it a game? Is it yeah. a chat room? We don't know. He's cued into it, and when his dad says something to him, he can't even hear him because yeah, he's plugged yeah. in, and so it shows that like. Before this dystopia happened, there was probably some advancements that maybe weren't so right. You know, well, at least that's that's another cultural thing. Like everyone looking in their phone all the time. Absolutely. You yeah. Know? Um, they uh, there were also I noticed like a lot of interesting little things like uh, the buses still looked like just normal double decker buses, mm-hmm. but they had like animated advertisements on them. Mm-hmm. So it was like they he gave it that nice sort of like like small. Well, have you ever been on a bolt bus? Do they have animated? Yeah, uh, sometimes they do. They really? have like screens and shit that give you like on the outside of them. Oh, not on the outside. No, yeah, no, no, it was no, like yeah. the whole side, the ad on the side. Was, oh like, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which that's is wild. A, you know, it's that 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 that's a small push to the future. You know, well, so Steve like mentioned it was like her, where it was like right. it. It's not real, but it almost seems real because it's a logical progression yeah, of technology. Absolutely. Like you commented on the design of the cars, where it's mm. like they still look like cars that we have, but there's something distinct about them that's we've not seen a car quite like that before. Mm. I th- actually, another movie that did that great was in Looper. Do yeah. you remember the cars all had... S- they were all old cars, mm-hmm. cars from our era, but they had solar panels hooked up to some weird futuristic-looking device that went into the gas tank. Yeah, yeah, Never explained right. it. It was just the future, and you either had that or a jet motobike right, if you were rich. Right, bikes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, one of the big things, and I think this is a conversation that's always happening, is people talking about what privileges you get with certain classes. Oh, and yeah. So Danny Houston's character, his reaction to nobody being able to uh, reproduce was, well, I'm rich. I just don't think. It. He literally says, he I says, just I don't, don't think, think about, about it. it. Yeah. Because it doesn't affect him. He's safe. Yeah. He's wealthy. He can live out his life as he would have yep. anyway. Meanwhile, anybody who's lower than that class level has to do stuff like yeah. work yeah. and and keep the you know the the joke of a system that's yeah. there alive and so it's weird that that predates the whole the whole privilege discussion as it is now mm-hmm. but i think says more about it than than oh yeah you know than than a lot of things well, I now mean, one of the first things that happens is he walks into danny houston's uh whatever it is apartment home whatever it's you know it's this huge space and he's that's the statue of david right yes that's what that was mm. he's got the statue of david is like prominently on display when you first walk into danny houston's home well they mm. mentioned before it was a, it was an arc of the arts mm. right uh, and when he and, and and that's interesting that they'd want to preserve the uh, yeah you know preserve the the, the great works yeah um, but the the what was interesting is the commentary on that is when Danny Houston comes out to meet Clive Owen Owen is basically like wh- why like what why did you fucking uh, do you save remember what he says statue? he says my my mom had a little one of those in her bathroom it was a lamp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but another thing is that there's a piece of the David statue that's missing. That's missing, yes. And it speaks to the fact that maybe we should preserve this art because right. that piece is never coming back. Right. I mean, think about the film registry, the fucking marijuana seed bank. Mm-hmm. There are all these things that are just exist so that if, if they burn all the crops or if all the movies are forgotten because they're all digital, mm-hmm. we've still got a Citizen Kane. We've still got purple. We still have Strawberry Cough. You know, we still have a... <laughs> I thought you were going to say Purple Rain. That's what yeah. I thought you were going to say, <laughs> we <too. still> have <laughs> pur- Actually, I'm pretty sure that is in the, the library. Well, what I was thinking about when I was watching that scene And is if it's not, it should be. <laughs> I totally agree. Uh, when I was watching that scene, I was thinking about what he said when he was like, I just don't think about it. Yes. And I kind of believe that that's the most normal reaction. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, That's immediately my reaction. In the sense that, think about how we live today. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't think about death. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if we were to experience what they were going through, I'd probably think about it all the goddamn time. Mm-hmm. But he actually has the most normal reaction where he's like, I just don't think about it. Right. Yeah. But it's only normal for him, and we think it's normal because we have somewhat of the same privilege as him. Like, it's normal to him because he has the resources to be able to continue existing pretty comfortably. Exactly. But for I a lot of people, they lost that yeah. when it when hope started to, yeah. to fizzle. Like, nobody in those cages is going like, I just don't think about it. Yeah, yeah. But I also think that if we're going to go into a more instinctual level, it doesn't affect you. You're already alive. Well, actually, to bring You're it back to 9-11. You're not going to born. When 9-11 happened, it was this horrifying thing. I don't think it was till five years later that it really hit me in yeah. any type of way that meant anything I because agree. I wasn't in New York. I mean, granted, I was I was 17 years old, I think, uh, 17 or 18. I was 17. Yeah, I was and, like 14 um, or 15, and I didn't have a lot of direct connection to it either. Yeah, there was nothing. Yeah. It was one of those things. Actually, I always joke about this. Uh, the fir- We watched the second plane hit. When the first plane hit, my buddy came up to me when I was on my way to study hall, and he goes, someone flew a plane into the World Trade Center. I said, well, which one's the World Trade Center? That was my reaction. Yeah. And then how I learned was he said, remember on The Simpsons when Homer's car got booted in New York and he had to wait by it all day? So he rode to the top of one tower where the only bathroom was and it was closed, so he had to ride to the top of the other tower, and then they took his car? I was like, yeah. He's like, those are the World Trade Center. I'm like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> and so it's like it didn't affect me yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. Um, but later it did. And so I wonder, uh, you know, and as as a world like this develops and your privileges fade yeah. as everyone f- falls into this gray mass, you know, you wonder what the reaction is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, if I go without my phone for a week, I am an agitated person. Mm-hmm. And, I think and that's a just a job. privilege being stripped away. You yeah. know, it's wild. They did a good job of showing us the variety of reactions people are having. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. On every level. Well, and I, th- I actually want to touch on the Danny Houston thing one more time. I think what's interesting about oh, that scene is, yes, it's called the Ark of Art or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and yes, he preserved this great work. And yes, that's a thing we do. We try to preserve these things. And Clive Owen's point is like, well, what's the point? Like, we all know, like, this is just coming to an end. So why? And uh, you want to say like, oh, but he he is doing something like that's a thing he's doing. He's preserving this art like he he at least in the face of this, like is thinking about something like he is thinking about it in some way. Mm-hmm. This coming impending doom. Oh, yeah. He's trying to collect this stuff. But he says he's not. He says, I don't think about it. Mm. So like he's not doing it for some like, oh, he's just being some, a rich guy, some humanist ideal of like, let's preserve our culture in this way so that if someone ever does find he's us, just an art collector, he's just fucking, just a rich yeah. art collector. Yeah. He's just being a rich guy. Yeah. That Ig- no, ignoring it. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm going to change my stance on that. You're right. Yeah. It's uh, but that's interesting. But it is. I like that. They show us that, that they, yeah. they do take us to the one place where there's somebody that still is able to just sort of exist on their own outside of all this chaos and that's what it is it's yeah. this totally hollow emptiness well you see that now i mean not to sound cliche and talk about corporations but we talk about you know companies uh, we had a conversation earlier about how there's a lot of companies that will it's all about uh the customer experience yes mm-hmm. or so they say yes it's just about making money yeah, yeah. you know and um I think you and I have been very privy to that uh, situation yeah. in the past together. Yeah. Um, and so when you see people that are in a position of power and money, especially when the world is in despair, mm-hmm. the the human reaction, and it's, it's so inhuman in terms of humanity, but it's human in terms of nature, is to reach out and grab everything you can, hold it tight, and that's mine. Mm-hmm. And just that's that's it. I have to protect this. This is mine now. And that's, that's such a primal thing. And you see it in terms of, you know, these... 
these uh you know the activists that are like we see this baby let's bring it in it's ours let's use it for our cause yeah you see him i'm just gonna gather all the art that's my thing that's yep. how i feel comfortable and everybody's doing something like that yeah and it's 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 primal it, it seems very primal to me and i would i would i'm gonna back end that with the fact that clive owen even though his life was so shitty in the sense that you know he was kind of on the outs, you know, what, you know he was a, a drunk. He mm-hmm. didn't really know what he was doing. He had one thing that he really looked forward to, which was hanging out with uh, Michael Caine's character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jasper. Jasper. And once, and spoiler alert, once that was taken from him, mm. he realized, like you know, how intense the situation was, where he was like. All right, I'm all in now. Like yeah. I've, oh, yeah. I've given like this and he has to be has prepared to die for everything it. from yeah. me. Like e- even so like little as like the the midwife there tries to console him and he's like don't fucking touch me. Yeah. He just like he snaps back at her. Like you could see in his in his eyes like I've given everything for this, so it better fucking happen because if it doesn't, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna be so fucking. And he's pissed. almost rejecting her friendship, knowing that it, that it could very promptly end. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, at at any moment. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's that. Uh, I even think about that, but yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's a natural reaction just to do it, and that that's actually probably the moment where his character turns because even when he sees like the pregnant girl, it's it changes him, and he starts to realize, oh, this is big, but I still feel like I can be out. When Michael Caine dies, you know, they always, the the phrase, you know, you can't take it with you. You amass all your stuff, a place for my stuff. Mm-hmm. You move it all around, you spread it all out, and then you die, and then it sits there, and it's trash. And so at the end of the day, you know, a man is only as good as his word. Mm-hmm. When everything's taken away from you, what is left? And we watch systematically everything just get taken away from a man who already thought he had nothing. And when he finally reaches that rock bottom, he realizes he not only does he have nothing tangible, but... The only thing worth for him personally and for the world is just this concept at his fingertips that a baby can be born. Mm -hmm. And And at that point, it's like, it doesn't matter if I die, because what am I? Like, I am now just this concept fighting. Mm -hmm. And it's it's wild. And I'll piggyback on that with the fact that, you know, uh, Julian, I guess is her name. Yes. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. (laughs) Her name was Jillian Minor. Her name was Julian Minor. Um, Jillian Less. I would say that <laughs> less is more. <laughs> as he, the more he lost, the more he gained, because he, like you just said, he realized none of this matters. His shitty life, the fact that you know, the only thing he really looked forward to was hanging out with Michael Caine's car- Jasper. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of that shit mattered because now he is the sole proprietor of the only thing of any value in this shitty world. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and a classic MacGuffin. That. When you look yep. at any B action movie yep. kind of thing, there's always that thing yeah. that they either have to get or protect. Mm-hmm. Be it the stones in the Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. be it the Ark of the Covenant in Raiders of the Lost Ark, be it Jesus's Carpenter Cup from Last Crusade. I, I'm just gonna really, keep going with Indiana Jones to the Crystal the Skull, skull. <laughs> but we won't talk about that. As we were talking more about the pulpiness of it, that's what I kept thinking of. I was like, this is an Indiana Jones movie. Oh it's yeah, it's like a really, it's like a really good fucking Indiana Jones movie. Mm. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's the he's the nameless hero that's just thrown into a situation and takes responsibility and, and goes. Mm. Uh, There's uh, even a physical change that that yeah. I think is is cool for Clive Owen because when he, that movie opens, he looks like shit. Yeah, he is gone. He's a drunk. Yep. He looks like a drunk. He, I mean, that was something that I brought up to you. Is he's he's 43. We did the math. Yeah. He's he's about. I mean, no, I, I he's not 43. We didn't do the math that way. I lied. 
Um, you would be. I would be forty three. Yeah. So we I would all be, would be between our thirties, yeah. our late thirties and early forties, and that's the character he played. And you wonder. It's just weird because I, I I don't see myself taking that path, but you wonder in that sort of a this these sort of events happen. Could you become that? And mm. I I do see that, and so his age affected that. But he looks brutal, and by the end, even though he's you know worse for the wear, mm-hmm. he actually looks cleaner. He looks like a man filled mm-hmm. with life yeah. as opposed to just a corpse filled with yeah. aliveness. You know. Yeah. And what's even more heartbreaking is during the quintessential scene the. Uh, the car chase scene, I guess you can call it, um, where Julianne Moore dies, spoiler alert. Um, you can see, like when they're doing the ping pong ball mm-hmm. thing, you can mm-hmm. see that he's genuinely happy. Mm-hmm. Because even right before that, Julianne Moore says, uh, oh, you only came here for the money. And he's like, well, did I? Mm-hmm. And then they get in the car and they have this really intimate moment. And then Julian, I'm like, right then, she just taken from him mm-hmm. yeah. and like i think that's when and it's right after that's they, when they the had like a, a, a weirdly cautious moment when they talk about the the son real quick mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. their baby and oh he had your eyes and all that mm-hmm. which is interesting because i think they a lot a of fight. a lot of the work is in clive owen's eyes yes he doesn't say much throughout no. the movie or in any movie but he's a very good facial actor mm-hmm. and is his eyes he's got the big like rodney dangerfield droopy shaggy <laughs> yeah, dog yeah. eyes terrible yeah. comparison but i know what you mean yeah. you know what i'm saying <laughs> like they, yeah. they has those those yep. kinds of things yeah. and uh but yeah, they have like a weird moment and then it kind of glosses over when they, they have this, uh, you know, like, you know, when you argue with your girl and then you fuck the shit out of her later because you just had this crazy thing. It's like this weird pocket version of that where they, uh, they have this little moment. They realize, why are we fighting? This is the end of the, f- this is the end of the world yeah, as yeah. we know it. And then it becomes adorable and then blocka blocka shit goes down but you know and then you find out spoiler alert that it was the very people she was working with chewbacca etch-a-sketch chewbacca etch-a-sketch treacher-sketch for treachery chewatel edgia for well uh this was uh which by the way he this is i think this was his breakout role I mean, he did a lot of a lot of different work where you don't realize it's him. He was like a he was like a Paul Giamatti where he was like the computer programmer for a yeah, while, and then the suddenly people are like, "Oh, he's fucking good," you know. But uh, I want to tell just while we're on the Julianne Moore scene, I want to tell you my story about the first time I saw Children of Men that oh, I've been yeah. trailing yes, to you. Yes, you've been talking. About I was this for so days. excited to see Children of Men. I knew this was that Harry Potter John. I was feeling <laughs> good, so me and my buddies went to go see it. We sit down at the Ritz, and the movie starts. And my buddy uh, Foster. We call him DeFoss, DeFrost. That's Australian for beer, by yeah. the way, for mm-hmm. all you listeners out there. That was my buddy Foster, which if you're listening, bud, what's up, dude? He's like, hey, man, do you want a Valium? And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll take a Valium. <laughs> so I take a Valium. And then like 10 minutes into the movie, he's like, do you want like another Valium? I'm like, yeah. So four Valiums later, Jesus we're watching this Christ. movie, and it ends, and we're driving home, and I'm just not really thinking anything because I'm fucked up, but I don't realize it because pills are stupid. And uh, someone was like, I, I, that blew my mind when Julianne Moore died. And my first thought, I was like, was Julianne Moore in this movie? <laughs> and then I never saw the movie again. I had, had no clue what happened in it. And everyone's raving about it. I'm like, I saw it, but I don't have it in <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. This is crazy. And so I, You looked at it. I looked at it. Yeah, 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 I didn't take it in. It just washed through me. And uh, so it was like another like three years after it left the theater that I saw it on demand. <laughs> and this was the first time since then. Oh, wow. So... It was uh, still a fresh experience. But yeah, goddamn Valium. I was all quietest up that night. 
I uh, got some cues, you know. I kind of want to talk cough? about <laughs> yeah, <laughs> strawberry cough. Oh yeah. I kind of want to talk about uh, Quaron's actual like techniques because I, I do Let's think do that's yeah. actually pretty important to his movies. Absolutely. Uh, he he is a very visual director. I mean, we talk about visual directors a lot, but there's something very interesting and unique about him. I think mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he's able to make any of this. Uh, as relatable as it is and so as emotionally affecting as it is mm-hmm. is a, is amazing i think w- one way or the other mm-hmm. uh but i think his technique to kind of get there is really interesting did you ever see the episode of curb your enthusiasm when ted danson makes an anonymous donation he makes an oh, anonymous yeah, yeah. donation and but they all honor him for it and so larry david makes one and like he gets upset that he did it for the honor yeah and i feel like there's a similar technique going on in terms of like this there were so many shots in here that rival summer blockbusters. Yeah. But there's not a big moment of, wow, what yeah, a yeah. show. Yeah. But there's that level of, of display, but yes. it's not being flashy and saying, no. check out what yeah, I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. It only serves the story. Mm-hmm. Was that a proper metaphor? Does that make sense? You know, he's not saying, look how awesome my yeah. film is. Nope. He's saying, I hope they see how much work I'm putting in. Especially into this. the end sequence when you, you have, and actually, you know what? That's a, perfect metaphor mm. because at, in, at the end of the sequence and this will full circle back to what we we're saying at, uh, during the uh, climax I guess you can call it you have two rival factions fighting over a city but all you see is what Clive oh, yeah. Owen's doing mm-hmm. it's he's just the trying to get it. that fucking baby to the boat mm-hmm. there's 200 people within a mile of them that I would no even fucking say clue. more than that oh, yeah. over mm-hmm. a thousand people are fighting against each other right now and it seems trite and it doesn't fucking matter because all that matters is this child needs to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And that and that's actually, so pulpy. That's a great point, dude, because I didn't even think about that now that we're talking There's about There's no flash. It. It's insane. It's, um, it's, it, it's, it's, it's big and action-packed, and it's mm-hmm. a spectacle without being bombastic about it. Yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't throw it at you. It, it pulls you into it, if that makes the sense. The only hero shot in the movie, and, and I'm realizing that's what it was now because I pointed out when it happened, is uh, of of key uh, when she reveals she's pregnant to who is it? Uh, maybe the Sid guy. Uh, I forget exactly who it is, but they do like a slow push on her as she like kind of scoops her belly with her hands. Oh, that was, oh, that that was, was when she Jasper. showed to uh, Jasper. To yeah. Jasper, that's yeah. who it is. And they just do a real slow push on her as she sort of cups her hands under her belly. And it's sort of those two motions together sort of do give that kind of hero shot. You know what I'm talking about? Mm. That Where you get that sort of like the camera comes up from like a low angle and like you get like the really like yeah, standing yeah, yeah. tall uh, hero she shot. She looked like you could paint that as a mural and put it anywhere in that city it, and it would be exactly. a symbol of hope. And that, But that's the only time you ever get anything like that. And mm. it's actually, I think, very meaningful that he gives that to you ju- just at that one time, you know? I think there's one other shot when she reveals it to Clive Owen and she's amongst the cows. Oh, yes. Um, and it seems silly that's to say the cows. Shot. But if you freeze frame yeah. that, I mean, that's cinematography 101. It's gorgeous. She's right there and she's just having a... The conversation she was having before then was about... Uh, how worthless it seemed that each cow only had one udder hooked up to a yeah. machine when they have six udders, and it just seemed wasteful, and it just showed that she started thinking in terms of, of a mother. Yeah, yeah. It was a very uh, matriarch kind of thing. It was this, this benevolence that came out of her. When she first started, she was this cold, don't fucking look at me, don't fucking touch me, mm-hmm. you know, w- terrified. Yeah. And so then we see her kind of turn into, she almost starts to grasp her position as a symbol of hope as well, 
you know, without literally doing so, mm-hmm. I, I think the character just waxes to that. Yeah, absolutely. And to go back to when she revealed the pregnancy to Jasper, I would say that, and Danny brought up a good point while we were watching it, was that the very next scene was Jasper, uh, you know, setting up this cause of celebration of, yeah. of life. And yeah, I yeah. think that even though, and that's why I love Michael Caine's character in this movie so much is because he's surround he's literally surrounded by death. Oh, yeah. He has a backup quietus suicide case. No, but dude, he had those not for backup. He had that because he was killing rats with them, and he wanted to do it the most humane way. Oh, I didn't. I didn't yeah, that's what he says. He was yeah. like, I use it to kill rats, and it's a very peaceful. But death. I mean, as as the movie progresses, we find out that that's not. That might not be the entire reason he has Exactly. It. Yes, but the fact that he's surrounded by death, he still loves life so much that he knew, like when he sent Clive Owen off to, and he was like, oh no, I'll distract the, I'll distract the guys that are chasing you. I'll, I'll send them another direction. Mm-hmm. It's the best plan we have, blah, blah, blah. He, he essentially knew he was martyring himself. Mm-hmm. He was going to Because he went in and euthanized his wife. Yeah. And but he's also kind of an activist that stayed... He was an inactivist where he was a former activist, got old, and he just lives the life exactly. without doing but it. So this scene, was his his rebirth, too, you know? Yeah, I agree. But that scene with when he puts his hand up on the window and uh, Key puts her hand up against his, like, I feel like that was a, a really good, like, Michael Caine was saying, like, hey, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm older. Like, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you because I know that what I'm doing is, like, what you're doing is right. Yeah. Mm. And I'm gonna help. Like I'm playing my my role. He has he has the hope. He's keeping the fire yeah. alive. And he always has. And, that's and you gotta wonder too with his age difference. They're they're a very similar person. Him and Clive Owen. But because Clive Owen was raised in a different environment, he went to this cold, uh, cynical mentality, yeah. the post nine eleven mentality. Whereas he kind of had the '60s revolutionary mentality. Well, and they're I of the same that, thing. Because it takes place in 2027. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like it's so still an earlier one. Revolution. No. Still though, Man. <laughs> well, if he's like no, eight I, years I old, no, 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 he agree would have been a, it, yeah. a teen in the sixties. If Michael Michael yeah, Caine's right. like in no, his eighties, right. yes, you so, are yeah. right. Yep. I mean, he he plays that hippie thing. In any case, you're all, you are right about the generational gap and the fact that he looks upon life as such uh, a gift, whereas Clive Owen's like, well, everything's fucking so stupid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck life. Yeah. Give me the fucking whiskey. He almost sees it as an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. You know, every every ounce of it. Whereas Clive Owen looks at it like a curse now. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's actually, uh, in that scene, there was one thing, because we talked about his, he does a lot of handheld camera work, yeah, yeah, but not yeah. shaky cam. No. His action is actually rather sleek. Yes. Um, it's big and sweeping, which mm-hmm. is very nice uh, in terms of building the geography of the scene, which is important for long mm-hmm. shots. And also coaxing these incredibly indelible performances from the actors yeah. for not cutting. There's no excuse to end the scene. Revel in that moment. Yeah. But uh, when he, it's after that scene where they rev- the the you know hero shot where they mm-hmm. reveal the pregnancy. They have their little celebration. Every scene like that, it seems as if the camera is my eyes because it's shaky like my head is, mm-hmm. but not obtrusive like you know like a Tony Scott kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then. Afterwards, when they leave and Michael Caine is, spoiler alert, getting shot to death slowly and Clive Owen is watching, it's this extremely steady cam that cuts back and forth from Clive Owen's point of view Mm -hmm. and from a a face shot of Clive Owen. And they both do this slow presidential zoom. And it's this weird thing that you see done quicker in horror movies Mm -hmm. where, you know, zoom in on the dead body, zoom in on the scared girl. And they did it real slow where it was just slowly as they're torturing him and shooting him, Mm -hmm. slowly on him as it's just dawning on him. He's having that moment Mm -hmm. saying, 
this is bigger than me and this is the last thing I, I have and he's dying in front of me. Mm-hmm. And they do this, they take this horror trope uh, of, of shot composure and rather than in your face, big and brash, just draw it out slow. Yeah. And it milks this unreal tension that that's just like, truly unsettling. Mm-hmm. But then you go back to the scene where they first escape from the revolutionaries and he's got to push the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do the same it's kind of thing, except it's definitely a slapstick scene. Yeah. But it's not without that exact same tension where yes. you're, you're literally thinking, fuck, fuck, You fuck. don't know whether or not to laugh or like exactly. be like, what? And, he, and it shows, though, like even in his character in that scene, he's dopey and just, uh, okay, I'll push the car. Is yeah, that what's yeah. going on? To this time, he's spying in the woods and he's like, fuck, we got to, you know, he's yeah. putting together this plan. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Shulaboo never had a character arc like that in a Transformer. And I think to. to For real. You know, like that earlier, is an yeah. insane character arc yeah. that what could have been a summer blockbuster rests on and just becomes this this masterpiece, yeah. really. And I think to what we were saying earlier with like if that scene were to be put to like Benny Hill music mm-hmm. or if like after Julianne Moore died and he broke down like Rockabye played. If that was Jackie that Chan, that would have been, been like, hilarious. Yeah. yeah. You know? If that was Jason Statham, mm-hmm. it would have been. Actually, it would have been pretty awesome. Well, we kept using an example that, again, as pulpy as this movie is, it manages to not feel that way. But you can imagine a, a version of this movie that stars Bruce Willis. Oh, like absolutely. You, you can watch this movie, and if you listen to the dialogue, you can imagine a version of this that stars Bruce Willis and how absolutely like silly and absurd it is. What was um, the line that, that I, I compared to the, uh, what do you think, I'm ordering a fucking pizza lady? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I forget. Was, yeah. It was a good line, though. Well, while we're talking about the design, this yes. is something I noticed, and I don't know what to make of it. When he's talking to Danny Houston, and yes. Danny Houston says, blah, 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 outside there yeah. is a literal flying pig. Yeah. Yeah, what did that mean? I, well, I'm trying to figure out how to attribute it, I and believe, I don't have anything. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that is probably a joke. Yeah. Because uh, there's, there's the saying, I'll believe it when pigs fly, mm. and we're now at the end of the world where like women are totally infertile. Uh, and so I would think maybe that's an activist group in a parade. Right. So like I don't know physically in that world what yeah. that is, but I know th- I definitely I have a feeling that's the director like sort of making a joke about the phrase of, you know, when pigs fly. It's really such an affrontive yeah. like kind of thing like it, it it can't be saying nothing, but I right. can't figure out what it says. Yeah. But I guess it does build the world like that where there mm-hmm. is that, you know, a joke uh, the eating the stork, yeah. you know. It's just another like who knows. Moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I and, and in that scene, and I'll segue into this, is like Koran uh, does a really good job of having this, the sound in the scene reflect what's going on in the scene. For mm-hmm. instance, in that particular one, the uh, the son was just like clicking his, mm-hmm. his little video game. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was annoying the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. But it, it also... We ref- talked about it a little bit when you were in the bathroom. Because oh. that, I mean, that's the people texting as they walk down the street. Yeah. yeah. It reflected like the awkwardness situation. And even, and even did you talk about the Julianne Moore scene when you talked about the eardrums? No, no. Which, that was an interesting thing. Oh, yeah. Clive Owen kept going on about the ringing in his ears from the bomb in the, in the, beginning of the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And she just said, hey, you know what that sound is? It's the sound of your cells dying. So enjoy it while it lasts. And while that scene is happening, there is this like, eh, yeah. like this very yeah. like, and like I'm like, oh my god! What a great metaphor, Genius. though. Too, yeah. the world is dying. Yeah. Enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know? that's good. That's wild. That's that. a dense script. It's uh, oh yeah. The uh, another thing I wanted to bring up in just talking about his sort of stylistic choices because you pointed this out and I'd never thought about it before. There's a significant scene. Uh, Elementary school. In, yeah. That was my next talking yeah, point. Go man. for it. 
It's it's in the third act of the movie. I, I guess it actually is almost at like the beginning of the third act. Really, mm. is is they end up in this? Uh, yeah, it's the beginning of the third act. Jasper tells him to go to this specific location to meet someone. Sid. Uh, Sid. Yeah. Uh, which will lead them into the third act, and that location is an abandoned elementary school. And I didn't think about this until you said it out loud. But an abandoned elementary school is the perfect image of an infertile world. Mm-hmm. It's a building that has no use anymore. Yeah. There's no children. The last class graduated and then just graffiti. Yeah, there's no children. And it's this beautiful haunting image. Uh, and uh, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I think maybe I might have seen that in the John Carpenter version of this, but I don't think it would have had the same... He he wouldn't have hung on it in just the right way that I really felt how Well, it's a testament that it wasn't that even noticed. I right. never noticed that until it occurred to me just watching yeah. it now. Whereas I feel like the John Carpenter version would have been like, you know, blah, blah, elementary school. Yeah, and it yeah. would have said like it would have had a boner spray painted across the thing, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Do, 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 do. But uh, no, and that's it's weird because that's the kind of thing. Uh, yeah. The uh, um, like, for example, uh, Pacific Rim. One of the things like, I, I have mixed feelings about that movie. One mm-hmm. of the things I liked about it was the one city was built around the decayed yeah. skeleton of a fallen kaiju a lot. and they never called attention to it right. it was just there and it made the world real mm-hmm. and so when you see things like the elementary school and they just treat it in passing it's mm-hmm. because that's how they treat it yeah uh, that's old news yeah. you know and so for us it's just a jarring world builder yeah. and there was but a lot not of even jarring it's just a world builder there there was a lot of little things like that for even like in so much as the whole propaganda piece of like britain only Britain survives, and even uh, when we first meet Jasper and he and uh, Theo are, are driving to Jasper's house, and it, like Theo already knew to get out and move the branches, mm-hmm. and we see that again later on when they when they even just show Theo moves like one branch. We already know that's the world that we live in. Yeah, mm-hmm. he does like he just does a perfect job of setting up, like like I you know preface before like he sets up the rules of the world that we jump into, and I think that he. Both he has a really good balance, just visually and audib- audibly telling us what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, we we talk about this a lot on the show. It for a movie that is a, as exposition heavy as it is, because of the, the story it's trying to tell, it's extremely economical in the way it gets those details across to you. Absolutely, it uses everything. It's a movie movie. It uses oh, without a doubt, it's like its, an ultimate movie. And movie. we like to movie movie. We, we do. do. It, yeah. it uses everything. That's the name of your mic. We do. <laughs> It, it uses everything at its disposal to mm. give us that information. We see it in newspaper clips. We see it in newscasts. Well, this makes we me want to bring it, up yeah. one of the things that I thought they did that was very interesting. And I, I made a note because it reminded me of the book World War Z. Have you read I've the book? I've never read the book. Uh, it's nothing like the movie. And I actually very much enjoyed the movie. But the book is not a story. It's just a collection of first-person retellings of people's experiences that happened during the zombie war mm-hmm. when zombies happened. So it's all these crazy stories that you don't think about. It. And they're stories that happen, you know, afterwards. Like uh, one guy went scuba diving, didn't realize there's zombies walking around the bottom of the ocean. Mm. They can't, you know, things like that. And um, so a lot of the things that they did in this movie was almost every character told a story from the lady sh- uh, told her story about the, uh, the f- how they noticed the um, at her. She was a nurse. She noticed mm-hmm. slowly they stopped having pregnancy bookings and yeah. it seemed to be something weird. Uh, Michael Caine tells his story. He tells like five different stories. Yeah. And it's when you think about a world that's dying, um, what gets passed on is, is legacy. Legacy, legacy gets passed yeah. on. And so everyone is telling this story that they're passing on. And so 
we don't really tell stories as as depicted such like that mm-hmm. in movies anymore. You know, we we put it out on Facebook. We do that. Mm-hmm. We do stand up. We share stories, but there's like a definite storytelling vibe. Everyone is is instinctually concerned with just making sure it is it is it is known. Yeah. <laughs> you know, making sure it's seen. It is known. And in a world where technology is crumbling, people don't have access to all this stuff. It's the word of mouth story that goes. So it makes sense for them to be telling these stories, and each one adds a facet to this world Mm -hmm. and so it is expositionary talking Mm -hmm. but it's not just them saying it for exposition i think it fits Mm -hmm. brilliantly into the tone yeah yeah me too yeah i it's so impressive what he's able to do i think to like make you feel so affected by this story Mm -hmm. considering everything that it is Mm -hmm. Uh, I i don't even know how to exactly encapsulate what i'm saying he it the the idea of like just a child being born being like the great climactic scene in a movie, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it and not just being born that whole scene where he's like where they're walking out of the building and everyone stops. That's and that's I mean, we should talk about that because yeah. that's the hope uh, they mentioned in the movie. I forgot what a baby sounded like. Yes. You know, the, I forgot what a baby looked yes. like. You know, people often talk about like, oh, my mom passed away and I, I forget what she looks like, if not for yeah. the pictures, things, you know, people forgot what babies were. Yeah. And so it, it floored everybody. Well, and it's the, the my, I, I think my point is the way he was able to tell the story uh, as a film, like visually and audibly and all that kind of stuff and through the acting and stuff. He makes me feel that when that baby is being walked through that staircase mm-hmm. and everybody, it doesn't matter what side they're on a refugee, a military guy, somebody that actually is invading the camp, whoever they are, they all stop and just let them walk by with this baby. The fact that I felt that and felt really how powerful this child being born actually is to this world mm-hmm. is a is a huge testament to what he's able to oh, do absolutely. as a filmmaker. And that's the, the world is built. The time. Oh, yeah. I have Facebook. I see fucking babies all the time. But you're a citizen in that world where there's no babies. Right. And it's, it's on you. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. It's um, it's a... Uh, how should I put it? It's that scene. It actually very much speaks to the pulpy matter because uh-huh. if if they came out parading the baby and yeah. it's oh, it could be a Simba moment. It would be so weird, and it would just be this thing. Yes, yeah, a Simba moment's yeah. perfect. It would yeah. be absolutely that, and it didn't play like that. It 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 played real, and it was scary too because yeah. because of the stakes that were set by who's able to die in the course yes. of this movie. Yes. I was like, there's a stray bullet just coming, just coming, just mm-hmm. coming, but there wasn't. Right. And it's because everyone was affected. Mm-hmm. And I think you could argue that some were affected by just sheer shock. Mm-hmm. Some were affected by the same thing that our protagonist was where they said, oh, shit, there's something bigger than this fight. Mm-hmm. And some more so just were stopped. Like, what the hell's going on? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's wild. They cover every possible reaction yeah. that you could have to every twist. It's it's unreal. Yeah. But it's real. Mm-hmm. It's totally real. It's it's wild. One of the things that I enjoy thinking about uh, is that the ending uh, which I do believe is supposed to be all about hope, and that that is one of the beautiful things about the movie is the movie is about hope, and the ending I think is very much supposed to be about hope and, and birth. The movie is very much about birth as well. Mm. Like we were pointing out that the, and rebirth and, and rebirth because one of the last images is of them getting in a little boat and having to go down a a tunnel, a canal, if you will, mm. and exit through a, a a tiny little opening that looks like mm-hmm. they might not fit through as they exit out into this larger world, unknown world. And even the way he exits, before. he goes head first, yeah. and, like a baby coming out of a big old pussy yep, yep. It's which you uh, do see in this movie if you're yes, interested yeah. in that kind of uh, thing a very, actually one of the most graphic breath scenes I think 
think I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It's brief, but it, it's very graphic. No, th- that's one of those things, too. That scene, if it was surrounded by a different movie, could have been just awful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it actually is kind of moving oh, in, yes, in a weird absolutely. way. It's it's for something that is completely improbable and mm-hmm. damn near impossible. Mm-hmm. She births a baby in a minute. Yeah. It's one of those things that just is so... I'm in that world. Oh, yeah. I forget what babies look like. Yeah. And then they have a really good baby effect. I mean, it's an I, impressive I, effect. I'm confident that is a, a totally digital baby. It, it definitely it's, was. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Mm. Uh, I, I think once I once that clicked for me, I st- it started looking a bit like an alien to me. Mm. Uh, but it, it is a pretty impressive effect. Uh, but they, when you get to the very end, this is one of the things I think is interesting about the movie. Uh, they spend the whole movie talking about the uh, the what is it called the People Project the um, yeah something like that the uh, the oh, what is that called the boat is the tomorrow human project? the Human Project the Human That's Project it. Uh, they keep talking about this this group the Human Project that will help Key with uh, with with her baby uh, and the people that initially tell them about the Human Project are the people that turn on them and it turns out are trying to use Key and her baby as sort of a political symbol mm-hmm. so we get this idea of like. That w- which is great because that gives us this idea of like this whole world has gone crazy and like the you know not everybody has their best interests in mind and even if what that group was trying to do may actually be righteous because I think they were trying to stand up for the rights of refugees mm. uh, that's not the important thing you know yeah. the important thing is the baby and they're actually well, it's like I said when something goes down now everyone puts an agenda to it yeah and because it has a little credence and then they try to run with it right yeah and so they then become sort of evil right mm-hmm. like this group does become evil to some extent because they do sort of uh they they kill one of the one of their group and 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 uh chase them through the rest of the movie uh so what we learn as an audience is not to trust any of these people that want key's baby right mm-hmm. and then as the story goes on we find out also that the human project is not even anyone they've ever really been in contact with. Mm-hmm. They're actually a total myth that no one knows if they exist or not. They have remember they had that whole conversation about mirrors mm-hmm. where like she has never actually contacted oh, these yeah, people. Oh yeah, they can't. They they don't right, there's no way to. So you, when you get to the end and that boat does actually show up and it does actually say tomorrow, which is like, you know, a, a sort of again, maybe a little too on the nose, maybe a little bit beating you over the head with sort of the idea of hope. You know what, though? I relate that to, uh, remember in the Avengers when he says, uh, you know, the uniform's cheesy and yeah. and Clark Gregg, uh, Coulson, yeah. is like, well, you know, maybe w- with what's about to happen, the world could use a little more old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it fits into that. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, but even with how heavy-handed that is, you know, the boat does show up. It's clearly the human project. And then the movie just ends before we even get to see the human project save key and the baby or anything like that and what i enjoy about that is it i I believe that yes it is supposed to be a very hopeful ending that's supposed to be like a very hopeful ending Mm -hmm. but as an audience what the only thing we've really been trained to think and see uh from this movie is that none of these groups should be trusted Mm -hmm. any of these groups could actually be a group that's going to do something bad and which which is really interesting because then it's like what is the journey that clive owen takes actually about mm-hmm. he does do something good i think regardless of oh, what the end result is I'm and gonna... that's what's interesting about it because the end result could be that key is saved and and maybe the birth of this baby does help us turn around this whole infertility issue but we don't know mm-hmm. e- even if she is saved and they are good maybe it doesn't turn around the infertility issue and that's it. she just happened to be this miracle that had a baby and that's it uh or maybe they're actually just as evil as any other group and they're not even gonna help you know what i mean they're oh, not yeah. even gonna help her maybe we they just know. pass on by and she but sits in that boat that, forever but what's great is that doesn't illegitimize the journey that clive owens character well takes. it ends when he dies right we only see what he right. sees yep. and we we're we were made privy to this plan yeah. that had so many cogs and pieces and we see one cog yeah clive owen 
Yep. And he does everything that a human yep. can possibly do to move it to the next piece of the machine. Yeah. And he does it until machine failure. Yeah. And we just have to hope that the next part works. And I sort of like the idea that it could all be totally futile. Yeah. But I do, but I, I love that because it doesn't illegitimize what he did. And it know? earns the hope. Like, yeah. at the end of that, I, I there's no doubt in my mind, and there's no reason for me to have this. It's unfounded because there's no evidence, but there's no doubt in my mind things work out. Right. Why? Because of an imbued sense of hope. Right. Do I have any facts to support that? Not now. In fact, the movie probably gives you facts to support the other. Absolutely, yeah, almost 100%. I disagree. I think the movie gives you facts to believe that she does it. Mm. And I'll I'll reference what I said earlier with the fact that Michael Caine literally thanked her for coming into his life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the midwife was completely okay with sacrificing herself on the bus Mm. to go and and die for her. Even uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor at the end, he, he... realized how futile his own life is to the sense that you know like oh his I, final scene he's like a lost man yeah. like he kind of wants to shoot at them he kind of wants to shoot there there's mm-hmm. bullets whizzing by him and like i've said before like he realized even he gave his life for her mm-hmm. and clive owen happy to give his life for her and especially since you know at the, at the very end when she says oh, i'm gonna name her dylan it could be a girl's name too and he just kind of smiles and then dies mm. perfect even julianne moore from the beginning realized that she needed to give her life for this cause oh yeah i think that it's all part of that story that we tell she dylan. saves the planet because she saved everybody she came into contact with mm-hmm she saved. We kind of saw the last vestige of of her piece of the machine mm-hmm. as it melds into the Clive Owen portion of the machine, and then we drop off at the end there. And I can't wait for Children of Men too. Actually, you know what? Mm-hmm. I was just thinking what would be a, a, a decent, interesting side feature. Children would, of Men uh, and Black. No, Chiwetel Ejiofor's no. team chasing them. Mm-hmm. There's a large portion of the movie where they're right behind them, and yeah. we don't know it yeah. until they show up at the end. Until that would be kind of neat. Charlie Hunnam Dreadlock shows up. Oh, yeah. We should recast him, though. Yeah. yeah recast so that talk, can we just say one piece story. about how terrible of an actor Charlie Hunnam is and how much I fucking hate his ass? How does he do it? Oh, my God. How doesn't he do it but still get paid to do it? Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the question. Any of us could have done that job much better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's not great. No. 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 He's not even good. Mm-mm. No. Um, Although Justin McGraw would. Oh, yeah. Dude. Green Street Hooligans, best movie ever. Ever. You know what's weird? I've never seen Green Street Hooligans, but only because people always recommend it side by side with Boondock Saints. Yep. <laughs> and I don't play that. I say, it's like yeah. the Boondock Saints. I don't play that. Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, if we get out of the plot for a little bit, yeah. we started to talk about some of the technical work mm. and, and the sound and all that. Um, have we all seen Gravity? I know you did because yes, we did. saw it together. Did. did you see Gravity, Steve? I did. That's a no. No, I um, did. I did. Okay. I saw it in IMAX 3D. I mean, the only way to see it. That's yeah. one of those movies that I actually really feel like if they just released it perennially, I would go see it once a year. Oh, yeah. I'm never sure. going to watch that at home. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. But um, for for from a filmmaking perspective, strictly a technical perspective, I think that overall Children of Men is a more interesting movie to mm-hmm. me. But in a sheer technical uh, perspective, there is this insane advancement in just maturity as oh, a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, I talked in the past about how David Fincher went from bombastic fight club, in your face, that kind of stuff. And then you watch The Social Network, and it's distinctly him, but it's the subdued him. You get Pi, you get Requiem for a Dream, and then Aronofsky goes and does The Wrestler, and it's it's more subdued. Um, There is a little bit of that, yet still he makes an event film. And that that is 
you know, once again, the humility of it. Like, yeah. uh, Gravity is an event film without a doubt. To me, it's all spectacle. Mm-hmm. But it fucking went to the Oscars and, and he got a best director and yeah. deserved it. Yeah. And it wasn't because of Flash. It was because of realistic usage of that spectacle. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, Children of Men I think he really... Too. Oh, I mean, yeah, Children yeah. of Men was, was fantastic. It had broader Oscars in terms of what it was nominated it was for, I believe. Director. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, But I mean, I mean, like, I think it had more categories. This was just director and special effects. But he, he matured as a filmmaker so much so that it, it uh, it's sleeker without... It, it doesn't have that music video mentality yeah, that yeah. this kind of has anymore, you know? It's uh. Well, let's say big. one of the one of the other things I wanted to bring up about his his camera work is uh, we, we we talked about this while we were watching it. Uh, it you know one of the things this movie is famous for is some long takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two in particular that it's very famous for. Uh, one is is like two stitched together shots towards the end of the movie that makes something like a 16 minute tracking shot through like a whole war scene, and it is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other is uh, during the the car chase we keep referencing. The camera is just sitting in the middle of a car, rotating 360 degrees. Oh, a car which it eventually exits. Yes, you know, in uh, an impossible way. Yeah, it, it is incredible, and so it's it's clear that he's he's doing sort of incredible things with cameras and camera work. He's also it, this movie is actually full of long takes. Mm-hmm. Those those two are very famous, but a lot of the takes in this are quite long, um, and some of them are really long takes that just hold on two actors having a very emotional moment together. Mm. Uh, and in any other movie, I feel like the director would try and instruct you as an audience to feel a certain way by moving the camera a lot, especially into some probably pretty deep close-ups. You oh, know? yeah. There's very few of like the theatrical cut back and forth on a conversation yeah. close-up. It's never like that. He really lets the camera just kind of hold on moments that are mm. powerful because the actors are really handling them so well. Uh, and I think that's like a really impressive, mature thing to do as a filmmaker, actually, to oh, trust, absolutely. trust your performers to um, take care of some of those story beats that you might be inclined to try and tell through the camera itself. And at the same time, you get the uh, you get a feeling like you are part of the story yes. yourself. Yeah, I think a lot of Quaron's strength comes from his choice of actors. Um, when you're trying to do acrobatic camera work. The last thing you want to do is say, cut, what the fuck is your motivation? What's going yeah, on yeah, here? Yeah. And so I think when you get a bunch of good actors that have to have been well rehearsed, I mean, you have to rehearse with the, the, when you're you feel like you're in the movie because the camera is very participatory. Yes. It's handheld. It does all that. And it has this weird participatory at the same time omniscient view mm. that we as moviegoers get for all movies. Mm-hmm. But within the screen, it exists in a very tangible way for this. And so in order to have that kind of camera acrobatics with actors that aren't acting like they're in a movie, they're acting right. like this is actually happening, takes some supremely talented actors and a lot of trust on the director's part. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from rehearsal and just good casting. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you, you accidentally lose a Charlie Hunnam in the mix somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It happens. Some, yeah. Sometimes Charlie Hunnam just sneaks under the set and is like, hey, I have dreadlocks. Can I be in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, but then when you look at something like Gravity, yeah. uh, that movie has two people in it. Mm-hmm. Has two people at all performing the fuck out of some pretty heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. And when they shot that, they had to be in a complete fun house of imagination. Yeah. They were not in space. They were in the furthest yeah. thing from space. They were in a confined box doing all this. They were in, and, they uh, were in Alfonso Cuaron's garage. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. His green screen garage that he owns. <laughs> Um, with a replica of the Hogwarts bank, <laughs> um, but it uh, 
it's I just feel like that's the kind of thing that as a director you really have to be able to trust your performers because who has time to stop and and you know be like oh, I don't believe it yeah. when you're too busy trying to make it look like a satellite is ripping you know <laughs> things to shreds it's it's wild yeah you know it's 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 active filmmaking done in a in a practical way in with the enhancement way. of CGI. Mm-hmm. And there's so much CGI in this movie that I bet we didn't know was there in oh, terms yeah. of backgrounds. But at the same time, in order to capture the shots he got, there had to be some revolving green screen sets. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, with a lot of those movies, it's like, check it out, we made it look like this happened. And then the good movies are the ones that say, we made this happen and we filmed it. Yeah. This is the perfect marriage of both of those skills yeah. being used at the at the peak of their of their talents. You and know? it was only during this viewing when you pointed it out that I realized that that ping pong ball scene, actually, the ping it's pong probably ball digital, is CGI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. if you look closely, you could see it definitely was. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, like that's actors doing some really good pantomime yeah. while the camera's dancing around, yeah. while they're trying to blue screen with live motorcycle actors and blue screen interaction and making squibs. the second best movie of the decade and of the decade yeah, yeah, yeah. the window sh- the window shattering you could tell was a little bit CG mm-hmm. but it didn't matter and then the camera exited through the window without breaking the plane of the roof yeah. it By was the way, sheerly the impossible shattering stuff shattering is a great great symbol for like this is it yeah there's no going back mm-hmm. now yeah this that's your barriers Clive broken Owen, this, is, uh, this is the point of no return for Clive Owen's mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. And I thought that was just a really, really great visual symbol for what was going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Julianne Moore. I will say this. Maybe if Daniel Day-Lewis is in this movie, it'd be the first best movie of the day. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) I actually, I brought Paste Magazine because I remembered it being in there. And then when I checked it out, they didn't have it listed. There Will Be Blood was listed. I forget what they had as number one. Let's see. I'm actually curious what they listed was their number one. Probably Click. I think two was Amelie, if I remember correctly. That was the same year, really? Oh, actually, number one, I'm going to go ahead and agree. No, not the same year. It's of the decade. Oh, the decade. Um, sorry, yeah. Their number one pick was City of God. Oh, and uh, that that's a, a fucking damned masterpiece. Yeah, that's a great movie. So I, I feel like that's... Not as good as Click. <laughs> <laughs> but what is, you know? Yeah. What is? I mean, really. Um, I want to check my notes. I, I might be running out of things to did, say well, about Well, I was about movie. to ask. Did you did you want to play some of these uh, these games that you were... Yeah, uh, we should yeah. do that. ...interested in? Um, first off, uh, I want to... Uh, we got to see if there's one asshole on Rotten Tomatoes. There oh, is. That just hates, hates Children of Men. They don't hate it. They're just like, this movie's good, but I really wish the ping pong ball wasn't CGI. Actually, uh, fellow fellow comedian Chris O'Connor gave this review of Children of Men, and I'm going to call you out because there was no answer I could give to it that I feel like would be heard, but uh, his, his answer... His, thing about children man was eh, i wasn't impressed <laughs> that was the most frustrating review i was like at the very least you should have been impressed you shouldn't have to like it but that you should have been al- impressed. that goes in hand in hand with uh fernando f croces of cinepassion his review said few recent films have so stunned me in segments and so frustrated me as a whole well you know what fuck you fernando this you know who's great. a real hole fernando yeah <laughs> are you on rotten yeah, tomatoes? tomatoes yeah there's that's the only rotten oh hang on wait wait, wait here's one are you at andrew saris andrew saris yeah what this I is a frustrating one irksome about it is its pseudo humanism and it's calculating political correctness well you know what fuck you andrew saris of the new what york is Observer. so politically correct about hope yeah and stop that putting pseudo in front of every word yeah dick 
What a fucking... Also, Andrew Saris, you look like you're already dead. <laughs> God, I hope that's not true. I'm sorry to the Saris family. Uh, here's an interesting review that's positive, and I really like it because it says a lot of what we said. A work of science fiction that bears a disturbing resemblance to the facts of today. I think yeah. that says a and lot. I, uh, we compared it to her at one point. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think, as far as like tonality of how we we might predict the future, goes very well with it. Here's a weird one. Mark Ramsey of Movie Juice <laughs> says, There are no more children left in the world. A world where Pixar gives up movies for CG animated select comfort sleep number bed commercials. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> what? I get, oh, you know what it was? There was a sleep number bed commercial that was animated like you were talking about earlier. Um, this is a film that had a great deal of potential but got too involved in its action scenes. Well, I think I disagree with that wholeheartedly because they were not showy action scenes. I think scenes. we have a list of people that we should kill. Yeah. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. No, we're men. These guys and are I'm children. I'm not winking at the other two people on this podcast right now. <laughs> so... Um, we did mention we have Movie Movie Live coming up, yes. and there's a couple fun July games 17th, that we play. Thursday, 8 p.m., $5, Phil and Mocha, come out. Uh, you said you wanted to play some Rotten Tomatoes, right? Mm. Uh, I had a good idea for this, Dan. Yes, I, think, I shut I my th- laptop so that you know I won't be cheating. I think okay. I'm going to put pit you two against each other okay. uh, for some Rotten Tomatoes real quick, and then we'll do, we'll do a 10 things with them as well. Got uh, it. This is what I've got. Uh, being as we just talked about Alfonso Cuaron, uh, one of the things Dan and I often talk about when talking about Quaron is uh, he sort of ended up defining the Harry Potter series. Uh, he directed the third one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and although he did not direct any movie after that, every movie after that looked like the third one. Uh, so I he would like to tone. take you guys on a journey through the Hogwarts. Harry Potter movies, oh. ah. according to Rotten Tomatoes, starting with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And uh, Dan, I'll let you go first. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? 82. 82? Steve, what do you got on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? I'm going to go 91. 91. Dan is going to take it. It's an 80%. Uh, It's one point for Dan. Now, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets uh, comes out exactly one year later. Oh, fuck. You know what? I I didn't realize that. Okay. No. We're going right in order. All right. Go ahead. Going right in order. Uh, Chamber of Secrets. Uh, Dan, you took the last point. 82. 82. 79. It is 82 on the nose. Stan has two points. Fucking uh, dick. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, the third one, which would be Alfonso Cuarón's. Uh, coming out in 2004. This one came out two years later in the summer. Interesting. That's weird. Uh, well, that makes sense. It's well, a little more blockbuster Yeah, and those first two were Christmas movies, uh, which this one was decidedly not. A la mm. Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. Boom. Uh, yes. King, 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 King. Uh, so, Dan, you have two points. You took the last one? 87. 87. 95. Steve. Hold on. Uh, you guys tie. Right Wait. on. Up yeah, top, you brother. tie. It's a 91%. Uh, 91. Nice. Right? right? That's a tie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So three to one. Or two nothing still. Two nothing. Doesn't we'll matter. go two, two nothing. nothing. Can I? Can we do three to one? I'd like to have at least. Yeah, a yeah. Point. Let's give him a point. I'll say that. I think that's three to one. Three to one. Okay. Three to one. It's about hope, guys. Listen. It's about net points here. Yeah, yeah. Uh,. Oh wait, I'm realizing this now takes them out of order, so I got to Next find one's Goblet, Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. Uh, yes, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. It was a tie, so we'll move it to Steve this time. Steve, you get to go first. Uh, I'm going to go 88. All right. And Dan? I'm going to go 86. 88 on the nose. That yes! brings to 3 to 2. And then Order of the Phoenix is next, is that right? Yes. Harry Potter Order of the Phoenix. Harry Potter Order of the Phoenix. Steve, you took the last point. I'm going to go 90. 90. 91. 
Steve's going to take it. It's 79, my friend. Tied it up. 79. It, really? That one was wow. probably my favorite. I was yeah, say, yeah, I, I'll one. tell you what. Goblet of Fire was my least favorite. I thought that was a pile of donkey doo-doo. Uh, that was the one with uh, Cedric Diggory. Se- yeah, Edward from <laughs> Vampire Times. Yeah, from Vampire Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hated that movie. Uh, Order of the Phoenix was certainly better than that. Uh, and then we moved to Half Blood Prince. Uh, and uh, what are we? Three to three, three, three all, I think. Three, three all. all. It was uh, no, th- oh yeah, yeah, no, it's three two. No, because I. I sp- <laughs> oh yeah, yeah so I three, three. Oh yeah, we tied it up, tied up, right yeah. on. Uh, I'm gonna go ninety one. Ninety one. This is which one was this? This is Half, Half Blood, Blood Prince. Prince. Yeah. With Severus Snape. Oh. Paul Ta. Paul Ta. I'm gonna go with an eighty three. Oh, Dan takes it. It's an eighty four. Ah, oh, bringing us to four three. So we get to part one. Hold on, I gotta figure out which one is part one on here. 2010, 2011, 2010. Part one of Deathly Hallows. I'm going to go 92. Uh, it's my turn. Oh, sorry. I'm still going 92, no <laughs> matter okay. what you say. I was going to go 92, but we don't have to do that. I'm going to go 89. Dan's going to take it. It's a 78. What? Wow. I didn't, see, I didn't see the last two. Those are the only ones I haven't seen. Ooh, the last one is very Well, now great. I can't win, so Dan wins. Well, let's, I mean, let's at least try and get the point. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I'm right. curious to see where last it goes. Last one. Last one. Oh, the last one. Uh, the I'm, la- I'm Deathly Hallows go Part big. Two, Dan. For those who are not thinking, <laughs> for those I'm not sorry. keeping score, Deathly Hallows Part Two. I was just thinking about how essentially Twilight is about a statutory <laughs> rapist. He's like 200, <laughs> and he just hangs out and fucks 16 year olds. It's yeah. disgusting, and then he sparkles. If you're looking at it from a scale point of view, that's really yeah, you know, up. it's really it's weird. Sad. It's really get a tan, <laughs> get a sparkle, um, go play some baseball with your idiot wolf. All right, friends, Dan. Deathly Hallows idiot. Part Two. Um, Deathly Hallows Part Two. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna go big on this. So I'm gonna go 90 on the nose. 90 on the nose. I'm See? gonna go bigger than that since the last installment. 96. You nailed it. Yeah. 96. Right on. Six. So highest rated of the series, I believe. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Only Prisoner of Azkaban gets close into the 90s. 91. Uh, so that is the Rotten Tomatoes game. Uh, do we want to play a quick? Uh, I want to do a I ten things. Um, I'm trying to figure out which one would would work. How does this uh, game work again? Basically, I'm going to give you ten facts about a movie. Yeah. Okay. And um, with each fact in the game show, you get less points. But basically, we're just going to keep going until you get it. All and right. uh, it's better if you get it earlier because it says a whole lot. And I just got to figure out which ones we're not doing on the show. Okay, I got one for you. Here we go. Fact number one is always the genre, the year, and the Rotten Tomatoes rating. This is a sci-fi action movie from 1987 with an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. A sci-fi genre action movie with an 88% or from no from 1988. From It's 88% from 1987. Okay. That's the year I was born. So it's as old as I am. Sci-fi genre. There's There's nine more facts. We can keep going. I'm going to go Terminator. No. Uh, fact number two, the budget was Wait. $13 million. The box office was $53 million. We should give him a time that limit. Next. Um, the gore in this film was reduced after it was completed to avoid receiving an X rating. That also do you know which one I'm doing? I do know okay. what you're doing. That also means nothing to me. Keep going. The lead actor's costume was so hot and heavy, the actor lost Robo-Cop. three pounds Yep, in water Boom. weight each day, eventually Boom. requiring an air conditioner to be installed inside the costume. You would think that a RoboCop suit would have air conditioning built into it already. <laughs> well, you'd also think <laughs> that it's Robo-Cop. because he's only like 
three quarters of a human, it wouldn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's you know? fair. Yeah. <laughs> my the lower half of my head is really hot. <laughs> Somewhere there's a crime happening. Sorry, the uh, the eighth of my torso that's left is is really sweating up. Can we get a can we get a PA over here? In the remake, they actually showed that he was just a head and lungs, and they built the suit around it. It was actually a pretty cool effect, but the movie was garbage. <laughs> Is there uh, another one we can do? Or yeah, yeah, I'll All do right. this one. This one, uh, this one might be a little bit harder for you, but it's it's. It's not because it's a more vague movie. I was close to Terminator, by the this way. This is, uh, yeah, you were very close. <laughs> this is an action movie from 1998 with a 40% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Lethal Weapon 3. No. Right. Budget was $140 million. The box I'm office, one, this, this, right? No the box office was $553 million. Bad Boys 2. You are closer than you think. Bad mm-hmm. Boys. The film's director is on record as saying it's his worst film and he would redo the entire third act if he could. I think the next fact will give it to you. Uh, the, uh, no, the only came out in 2000. This film's soundtrack featured a hit single forever. performed by the father of the film's lead actress. Oh, fuck. God damn it, it's Armageddon. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to close my eyes. <laughs> I don't want to fall asleep because I'll miss you, babe. Wait a minute. And I don't want to miss Michael Basin, he would redo the entire third act? Yes. Yeah. yes. You know what else I heard about He keeps movie? the cookie safari, <laughs> the, the belly button cookie it? safari. Yeah. That stays. <laughs> but but the, the touching moment where Bruce Willis throws Ben Affleck yeah, back in is like, the best part say hi to my daughter for me or whatever. I don't know what he says. Yeah. You think I'm ordering a fucking pizza here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm on an asteroid. Now I know what a person uh, stranded on Mars feels like. <laughs> come to the asteroid. We'll have a great time. I want to move on to the next fact wait, just wait, because it's a great quote. Yeah. I read recently that apparently Ben Affleck asked Michael Bay, like, Hey, wouldn't it be easier just to train astronauts to drill? And Michael Bay told him to shut the fuck up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I read that before, too. That's totally true. Because if I was Michael Bay, I would. that's what I would say. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Uh, although I, I'm willing to bet that Michael Bay hadn't considered it, so his reaction was probably more like... Shut the fuck up. Cut! Cut! Reset the scene. Blow that up. You, blow that up. Explosion now! (laughs) His explosion guy, people don't know this, is actually just Martin Lawrence. He works between bad boy films doing explosions. No, but the next quote I love just because this is a quote that stuck with me because it was the best selling of a concept I've ever seen. Imagine a firecracker in the palm of your hand. You set it off. What happens? You burn your hand, right? You close your fist around the same firecracker and set it off. Your wife's going to be opening your ketchup bottles for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's so good. That said that that sold to me like they do need to drill. I never considered the astronaut thing. Like that's the only way, of course. Play the song. And it was uh and so they sold it but they added that great great just space cowboy line. And your wife's going to be they, opening your added, ketchup bottles for the rest of your life. And they <laughs> added a line about space cowboys. Yeah, yeah. They're taking the wrong way, wrong road. What road? What roads do you see? I told you not to do them. I just base the cowboys. I don't remember that. Who says this? Fucking Lev, the Russian guy. Oh, who like, played him? He was uh, uh the guy, the oh, the Russian, the perpetual Russian yeah, in every right. movie. Was it, it wasn't Renault, was it? No, no, no. He played the crazy Frenchman. Uh, right, right, right. And Steve Buscemi played Steve Buscemi. Yeah. This is how we fix things in the Russian space station. Yeah. I don't want to be here anymore. And then the ship <laughs> magically you have works. This amazing like <laughs> list of quotes from that movie. Yeah. I, I couldn't pull one that wasn't on this screen. Because honestly, when I'm at my job, every time like 4:30 hits uh, in my mind.
mind, I think, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> what can I hit with a wrench? <laughs> I don't want to be here Because that's anymore. how they do things. In, in Russia. the Russian space station. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, that mind blown. Another good line. Yeah. Is when they're thinking about jumping off of the, in, like off of one part of the asteroid in another one. And Ben Affleck's like, have you ever heard of Evil Knievel? And the guy's like, no, I don't want to Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Yeah. That like makes my toes curl it's thinking so about bad. how shitty that line is. But the ketchup bottle, <laughs> golden. If you break that movie down like individually, it's terrible. But as a whole, oh, I think it works fantastic. beautifully. Yeah. It, it, there's no illusions about what it is. The whole scene where Harry's chasing AJ through the oil rig because... He found him in bed with his daughter, who happened to be on the same oil rig. Oh. Not like it's a giant fucking community around here. Yeah, right. Like, you really yeah. didn't know? Like, come on, dude. Yeah, you brought one girl onto an oil rig in yeah. the middle of the ocean. You should be thankful you she wasn't raped keep the to cutest death. Guy away from him. I'm not yeah. gay. Probably should leave Batman out of this. Yeah, he's Batman, guys. Yeah. Right. I saw it. Uh, we talked about this on one of our episodes. There was a great video online about Edgar Wright and how interesting he is as a comedic film director. Mm. Uh, the same guy made a video about Michael Bay, uh, at where he continues to specify over and over again that he does not think Michael Bay uh, makes good movies, but he does think that Michael Bay is an interesting filmmaker we should be looking at because Michael Bay developed something that he dubbed, I believe, Bayhem. Mm. Uh, oh, I, I oh. I've, I read that phrase I, I, read, I thought I it was yeah, like brilliant. Yeah, it was a really interesting video actually because he he shows how all Michael Bay does is basically use the same shots over and over and over mm. again in every movie he makes, but those shots are like the best of those shots that you're ever going to see. Oh, he's so well rehearsed. Yeah, um, and and it, they talk about how like tons of other movies try and imitate what Michael Bay does with his camera, but nobody else does it as well as Michael Bay does it. Mm-hmm. He the way he uses motion inside of every frame is actually pretty interesting and unique and makes for like really kinetic frames. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they show a bunch of examples of people trying to repeat what he does and like not being able to achieve it at all. Uh, so it was actually kind of interesting. I, it, it's worth looking at. I, f- I forget what it's called. It's I think he's definitely a good Bayham. filmmaker. Yeah. He's just not, you know, some... Uh, uh, Michael Bay has stories. a quote where he said, uh, I make movies for 15-year-old boys. Yep. Where's the crime? Yep. And honestly, like, I think that's... There's there's room in my world for Michael Bay. Yeah. He's the best at what he does. Mm-hmm. He's the only at what he does. Mm-hmm. And if I don't want to see what he does, I won't see it. But I'm totally going to yeah. see it. You know, yeah. why not? Bad Boys 3, are you fucking kidding me? I'll <laughs> see that twice. I didn't see Transformers, uh, Transformers yet. Transformers, um, I know. I would like to see I, it. I, I want to, but I just... I don't think I'm going. I can't commit to that. Planet of the Apes took over. Yeah. That's supposed to be absolutely incredible. 90% around tomatoes. Cannot wait. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, Let's let's do, uh, let's one more time mention Movie Movie Live, July 17th, Philomoka, 8 p.m. So that's this Thursday if you're listening to the show uh, when it drops. Come come see us. It's going to be really, really fun. I'm I'm super excited about it. Come support Uh, it. There's plenty in it for you, too, besides the show. There's there's a lot of good stuff going on. Like I said, I will be there. And Steve will will be there. Steve, come on down. At the show. Have you ever wanted to meet Steve? Well, guess what? Thursday's your chance. Philomoka. Steve will be there, but you better get there before Steve leaves. I don't know. That's terrible. Uh, Thursday, Thursday, (laughs) Thursday. Uh, look up the podcast on iTunes. I like to movie movie. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash I like to movie. That's the number two. Same thing on Twitter at I like to movie. The number two. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. That's with an F. You can uh, check out my blog, the nexicon.tumblr.com. We just hit 50 entries today. Hooray. Yay. Uh, and it's uh, almost twice the regular alphabet. 
Yes, uh, and uh, I guess God. if you're in Philly, uh, come to my open mic on Tuesdays at Medusa Lounge, 9 p.m. Beautiful. Uh, at Dan Scully on Twitter. Check out regretfulmorning.com. Doing a little writing for those Johns. And um, oh, yeah, August 26th. Now I forget where it is. Where is the where is the bit show, the the $5 comedy week? The Shubin? Come on out to the Shubin on August 26th. Uh, I believe at 10 p.m. Uh, for uh, It's Sportin' Time, my sports talk show that is, uh, I'm excited about because if you don't know this about me, I fucking hate sports, All <laughs> everything about it. And the one thing I hate most is sports talk. So I'm going to do my best job at, at making it work. So, uh, yeah, come out to that. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I have nothing I want to plug. I'm not on Twitter. Uh, don't follow me. Don't try to find me. Just leave me the hell alone. There you go. Perfect. All right, uh, we're going to end this episode the way we end every episode. You just like got to pick it up. You will pick this up, I promise. Uh, have we decided uh, it's we we do two movies when we say it, Can I? Can and I then say, one at the end? Yeah. Okay, can that's I what I thought, because I screwed though, that up last time, I think. Because yeah. I, I feel like I failed to mention this. I, and I, I'm, I'm coming out right now as, as saying this, right? I like to movie movie. Oh, well. I like the movie movie. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, you right. already fucked it up. So. You know, oh, okay. But I love your enthusiasm. Yeah. There's, right. there's, you got this, so let's kick it off. My name is Garrett, and I like the movie movie. My name is Dan, and I like the movie movie. My name is Steve, and I like the movie movie. And we, we all know, know you, you like the like movie, movie movie. Because we, we like to movie. Movie. movie.